Welcome everybody to the Storied Podcast. This week we're going to dabble into an ever-evolving tale of us duck hunting in Wisconsin. We have our first special guest in Nick Dax, a Wisconsin native that has definitely folded plenty of birds in his life. Now he sets his wings in Utah. But enough with the duck puns, let's get into our wild game meals of the week. You want to start, start right? off? Uh, me start off? All right. I've already been talking. All right. Yeah. So I had some uh, turkey tenderloin this week. Shot that wild uh, wild turkey in, um, in Minnesota and then decided to fire up the tenderloins. So pretty much that. It was just a marinated tenderloin. I just had olive oil, soy sauce, brown sugar, onion powder, paprika, thyme, all that stuff. Pretty much marinated overnight. I think the oil is the big thing with those with turkey, just to get an oil or a fat around it so it doesn't dry out. But then after it marinated, um, I put it on the old charcoal grill, got that thing fired up. I pretty much had all the hot coals on the one side. And then I just indirect heat, um, indirect cooked it for, I don't even know, 15 to 20 minutes or so, pretty much till it got 155 and served it up. And that was delicious. What, uh, for some, some people who might not know, uh, what are you referring to there with the turkey tenderloin? Cause a lot of people just, you know, think turkey breast. Yeah. Yeah. It's that part. That's right. It's connected right to the dorsal keel there. That kind of piece when you take out the breast, you peel that apart. That little piece kind of just comes off separate separate from uh, the breast. Yeah, that's what I'm calling the turkey tenderloin. But I don't know if that's yeah, the I, actual term for it, but you coined it, so there we go. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's probably what it's called. But yeah, I had that with uh, some potatoes and uh, asparagus. That's what I had with it. Oh, mm. bingo! Nice. But, I also had turkey. Um, and this is not from the Turkey that I talked about last time It's from a, a more recent Turkey. And actually I, uh, made some, uh, Turkey hot wings. I just did the old tried and true. And I feel like every time I do it and tell someone how I cooked it, it's just like, well, yeah, if you deep fry something breaded and throw hot sauce on it, it's going to taste good. But it is literally like, I, I, I don't go out to eat and find better boneless like wings than that. Like, I, it's just so good. Especially, you got to cook it hot, though. Like you were saying, you got to lock in that moisture and crisp it up. Yeah. But basically, all you do is um, cube it up on however big a bites you want to eat and uh, salt, pepper, and then you just do it like fried fish or whatever to bread it. You know, you just throw it in a little um, breading egg and milk breading again and toss it in the hot oil what did you use for breading oh shoot is some yeah, Lu- uh, louisiana, louisiana fish Cajun. fry something or other yeah it's yeah. literally fish fry breading it's not even like chicken breading yeah. um and uh and then i took it out drained it you know let let all the oils kind of fall off and it dry out a little bit and then uh just threw it in a bowl with uh good old uh frank's red hot buffalo sauce and uh served that up with a little bit of broccoli and carrots raw and just some ranch and good old hot wings man and i've, I've served that to people who don't normally eat uh wild turkey too and they they say it's better than like any wings they go out and get at a restaurant the, the just the fibers and everything in it are like i don't know it's just so tender and uh it's really good 
That's what That's I had. the thing. You could do multiple sauces with that. You could do oh, yeah. five different sauces for anybody. It's like B-dubs, only I don't like B-dubs meat. They just have a million different types of sauce. So this is like that, but the meat is really good. Do it how you want. Bingo. All right, we'll go to Dax. Yeah, so uh, we had, my girlfriend and I, we actually had uh, backstrap mountain lion steaks. And that was actually really good, better than what I thought. That was my first time having it, her first time having it. And the reason why we did that up, we waited because I shot a mountain lion in Christmas Day, I think. And my dad flew in, so that was his first time here visiting. So I'm like, oh, let's do something we've never had and he's never had. So we did mountain lion steaks, and that was breaded, hand-breaded, or yeah, I would say hand-breaded, um, dry rub with like Montreal steak seasoning, paprika, um, salt and pepper, just hand bread it. And then as soon as you get done, you put a little about eighth of an inch of olive oil in a pan. And you just sear both sides, get a little black. And then as soon as that's done, you take it out, put it on the grill, get that temp up to above 165. I went 175 just to be safe <laughs> above it. And then from there, we had it with grilled asparagus and grilled baby reds on the grill also. And it was Bingo. very good. Awesome. That sounds freaking great. I still have not eaten mountain lion. Um, and now I've been like in and around people who have, and I'm getting kind of jealous cause I'm normally the guy who starts eating stuff. People don't eat, you know? So <laughs> and that mountain lion for you, Dax was, it was pretty white meat, wasn't it? Or pinkish. Yeah, you know? honestly it was the back straps are all white. I mean, it looks a lot like pork, especially yeah. when you cook them, they look just like pork chop, but the taste is uncomparable to anything else it's a sweet taste of meat it's you get the spice and all of a sudden you get the meat and then you leaves you with like a little sweet aftertaste it's very good you're making me hungry for that i, I need to i didn't <laughs> figure out how to get some or maybe just go get a lion myself i don't know but yeah so uh hey come on come on yeah down. might might have to try yeah, you utah you probably could get one non-resident decently after a few years yeah well, they just switched it right now. I mean, they took them off. They're shooting like coyotes. They said they just passed the bill, wow. so you can literally go and shoot them like coyotes now. Wow, that's a so that's, that's a an OTC <laughs> over the counter. Mm-hmm. Wow, yep, holy cow! But all right, speaking about kitty cats, we'll purr right into what we've been up to. <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know, but yeah, I guess I'll uh, start her off. Um, yeah, I've been pretty much just kind of getting in shape for what's to come, hopefully Western this year, and then also kind of walking the woods. I got some deer cameras up already. It's May. <laughs> I pretty much, I'm like, I'm going to go for some walks. Um, I'm kind of scouting for mushrooms too. It's morale season coming around here. We're probably three weeks behind normal, but so I kind of did that and some scouting too. When it comes to, you know, in the Midwest here, the vegetation's down, so it's a lot easier to walk and cover a lot of ground. You can still see all that sign that was left in the fall through the winter till whenever. And, um, yeah, I think it's a good time to get out there and scout new pieces. That's what kind of I did. And then, I'll, you know, some things just click. You see trails that you didn't see when all the vegetation was up, and then now there's a just pounded down trail. It's like, all right, that teaches you how they're using those train features and things like that. It's it's definitely valuable if you got some time in the spring to just get out there and keep walking. 
because your woodsmanship goes up. You can read all that sign. I know, I know like food is really not, it's probably what they were doing in the fall and winter where their food was, but now everything's tilled up. It's probably not a present sign, but it still helps you realize how deer are using, like I said, those uh, terrain features and also those edges. Sometimes you see like an edge of some timber and then all of a sudden there's a giant trail coming down and it's like, oh, blink. Everybody talks about deer using edges, bingo. Just tone in on your whitetail ability, but. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like you're just kind of like getting in reps, getting in some like long run days, you know? Getting, getting <laughs> yeah, that's, pre- that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing too special, but getting the groundwork in. <laughs> Staying fresh. Yeah. I was, uh, well, you know me, I was out turkey hunting. I've been turkey hunting a lot. But, um, yeah, I got another one. I'll just cut right to the chase. I got another one. Uh, it was, it was tough though. Um, tough hunting between the first one I got and this one. And I went a couple of times with my girlfriend, which was, uh, you know, maybe I talked about that last time. We had a lot of hand up birds that were just over property boundary and everything. But, um, yeah, just me on my own doing my same old dumb stuff, chasing turkeys all the way up a mountain. Um, but I, uh, Tried a couple spots, went back to this honey hole where last year I kind of found it and I had two come in and shot the one. I think I sent you that video, Ryan. I don't know if I sent mm. Dax that. Um, and uh, I got on birds in there in the evening. Once again, followed some up like 400 feet elevation to roost and uh, actually got pretty close to shooting those in the wide open. Then I decided I didn't want to climb all the way back up there the next morning and try to hunt it. Plus he had a hen with him. Um, so I drove around to try to find one that night, uh, you know, strike one up on the roost, found one right off the road, camped there, one in the next morning. This is very abbreviated story because a lot happened that morning. It might've been the craziest turkey hunting morning of my life, but that bird didn't move from his roost tree more than 50 yards. And I worked around him for an hour and a half and finally got impatient and tried to sneak in. And I snuck in real close, but at like 25 yards with some thick stuff and he, he pegged me. And there was a hole there in the brush and I pulled up and shot at him. And I think I would still take that shot if I was already lined up. But since I pulled up and shot, I totally missed him (laughs) and he flew off. And I knew I didn't hit him because I went over the next ridge and hit the pot call and he just flew across the valley away from me. And uh, a turkey doesn't normally get up and fly away when you hit a pot call. So I'm I'm pretty (laughs) sure he just did that because he just got shot at. Um, So then I was pretty down in the dumps and went down the road struck up another gobbler, followed him up a ridge, looked over and he actually is on the opposite ridge. And there's three of them spinning, strutting out in this open, like selective harvest ponderosa pine. I'm like, shoot, they're in the wide open. But if I go down in my truck, 300 feet, get on the backside of that ridge and come up the backside, I can probably call them over. And I didn't see any hens. So that was a good situation. Cause I was like three times, no hens. Hopefully they're like competitive and want to beat each other to the hen, you know, but I ended up being up there for an hour calling at them and belly crawling into 50 yards, still not getting a shot. And they just would gobble their heads off and not come over because they can see everything and they don't see a hen. So then I got bored with them and they got bored with me and they kind of left. And I look across the ridge and where the, I just came from two more times come over the front strutting. And I'm like, where are all these damn turkeys coming from? <laughs> so I went back to the place I was before, got on my truck to do that backside of that ridge and try to get on them. And when I got on my truck, another Tom gobbled from across this valley right near me. So I'm like, well, shoot, I'll go after that one. Took my truck up there. Long story short, got down on him. 
called him straight in, but there was, he got to 15 yards and there was a log and there was like one of those trees that's down and still has some branches. So you can see about a foot under the tree, but the trunk is parallel to the ground. And he was strutting back and forth in front of me at 15 yards with his like head behind this thing. And I'm kind of like downhill angled up. So I can't like stand up and shoot over it. So I'm like, got my gun up waiting for him to look for me. And like he did. And his head wasn't exactly where my gun was. And once again, I missed, but this time he jumped up and flew and I had, I pumped another round and he was like 15 yards, 10 feet off the ground in the air. And I freaking folded him like a goose. That's not how you want to shoot a turkey folks, but that's how I shot that turkey. (laughs) Does that have anything to do with your shotgun that you're using? Uh, no, it doesn't. Those are, those were user errors. I mean, I've killed turkeys outright at 30 yards, 35 yards of that thing. This was like close. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just thought maybe, I just thought maybe you grabbed your waterfall gun by mistake. Yeah. No, I wasn't hitting the things (laughs) I was totally missing. It was, uh, it was not good. And I hadn't missed a turkey in a while, but I missed twice that morning, but at least the second bird killed him. Um, but yeah, that's the one I ate up uh, in that meal I talked about. And, oh, and after I killed that bird, I went back to my truck and just for shits and giggles, sent sent a call down the valley and two more gobblers went off. I'm like, so that between the night previous and that morning, there were 10 different gobblers in about a half a mile straight line distance. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. And there was nobody up there hunting them. There was one guy hunting the ones in the in the bottom, but these birds were like 600 feet up the ridge, and I think people just don't think to go up there. Was that kind of snow line-ish? That's probably no, why. No, it wasn't, no. but it was above like a – it was like you have like the stream bottom that's thick and it's got like patchy openings, and then like the side of the mountain is very harvested timber, and then the tops where they flatten out is more trees. And I think people just look up there and be like, there's this big area of no trees – like I'm going to stay down here, yeah. but you get up there and there's a ton of birds up there. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it was the right people day to be there too. People probably don't want to climb the Hills. They're like, Oh, birds up there. They'll come down to me when I call. No, multiple. Got to get up there. Multiple friends of mine in this area have told me I'd turn Turkey hunts into elk hunts. So <laughs> anyways, hey, it works, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what I was up to. Dax, what were you up to this past week or so? Uh, this past weekend here in Utah, it's a little different. It was youth turkey season. They give it four days in Utah. So I got to take uh, the girlfriend's nephews out and her brother because they don't really, well, here in Utah, they just ride the roads and, hey, there's a turkey and shoot one. So we actually did it where you go out and try and set up and see what comes down. And I took one of her nephews and the other one went with his dad and everything. And they had the action in the field. Uh, they had 10 jakes come in and work in. The toms stayed up on the sides, and the 10 jakes were in the field pecking, eating from sunup until, I would say, 8.30 in the morning. And then by that time, they just moseyed on up, went up this canyon, and away they went. So they had some action. That was the first time ever they actually sat and got to see the birds come to them. So they had a really good experience, which I was happy about. So that was Saturday, uh, and then Monday, this past Monday, the first was the opener of shed season out here in Utah for elk and mule deer. So I got to go out and look for some. I was looking for one bull in particular, but I was a little bit too high from where he was, and he ended up dropping his sheds 
right next to each other in the pinions about a quarter mile away from me and another guy found it local guy who i know here so glad he found it but that's about it now it's just been hiking for the past couple of days looking for some so i got two on the board two elk two deer but a lot of miles not a lot I, of sheds. Right I now. have a bad relationship with shed hunting, man. I, I, I like my my mile to shed ratio is really really bad. Um, but I was gonna ask <laughs> you guys have had a super hard winter down there, and that's why they had that shed season in place. What, what's the weather been like in the last week or yep. two? Uh, last week or two, it's been really warm, really windy, but really warm. I would say the temps have been in the seventies down here in southern Utah, and like you were saying, the odd part is. I went to a rack meeting they're called down here for Southern Utah DWR meeting. And it was all about tags for the upcoming season for mule deer. And they actually decided to cut the tags in the North by 20% and distribute those tags in the South here, 20% increase. Cause they said the survival rate down here has just been so good from what they've been seeing from collared deer. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. Cause everyone there is all up in arms saying, you can't do that. And me not knowing really anything about it. I'm just, they're watching, observing. They had some good data. The scientists backed up the DWR people. So, I mean, their data proves it, but it's not what the folks on the ground are seeing. So we'll see. I guess looking like in Southern Utah, 20% increase of tags for the Southern units. Well, that's very different down there. Um, And Ryan probably knows quite a bit about that too, living down there, how the winter range down there is just superb for those deer. Whereas I feel like in Northern Utah, they have a, a tougher time with the winters. Yeah, you pretty much got to figure yeah. that all of Salt Lake City used to be winter habitat. Now it's a city. And then in southern Utah, it's still remote enough. It's still habitat. And and, they're, and the DWR does a pretty good job um, of staying ahead of the game on, um, you know, selling land, uh, build houses and things like that. They kind of place those areas, that primo winter range, and they try not to inhabit it. And yeah, they do. They do a pretty good job at that. And and I feel like the, I'm not sure what it is like up north, but I feel like in that region specifically in southern Utah, that elevation drop from their summer to winter range is pretty extreme. I mean, and I know like it's been getting hammered with the snow everywhere. Has there been a bunch of snow way down too, Dax, on the winter range? Yeah, so I live at 6,600 feet here, and that this is all winter range down in here. I mean, we still currently... I mean, I have green grass outside, everything, but we still have 30, 40 deer a night come into our pastures and eat our horses' grass in the pastures. So it's constantly having to get the dogs out. They just don't want to start moving up. Everything's greening up down here, and they're just staying. Hmm. So, I mean, the elk have moved up, but the deer, they're being a little stubborn. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, up in here in Missoula, um, so it went from, you know, being a really late, really cold, really late, really cold winter, like late spring, the last five, six days, it's been like 85 to 90 degrees every single day. And um, we're hitting, we're in minor Whoa. flood stage right now on the Clark Fork. Uh, and we're about to get an inch of rain, which above uh, probably 5,000 feet is going to be like rain on snow. Um, we could get some serious, there's a potential for some serious flood. We're already at flood stage, but like if, if we get an inch of rain in the next two days on snow, that could really spice things up but we lost like 10 percent of our snowpack in two days i think with with uh wow. with the um hot weather and i watched it i mean like on the bedroot range over here you know a week and a half ago the snow on the north slopes was all the way to the valley floor and now it's like two thousand feet up is snow line it's pretty nuts how hot it's been um, wow 
But yeah, I mean, crazy spring in, in that respect. Hard winter, a lot of places, and then all of a sudden it warms up like that fast. We were looking good for snowpack and everything, and now it's like, I hope it gets cold and, and snows again because we've, we've lost a lot of water <laughs> really early. But mm-hmm. water, though, is uh, yeah. key in what we're going to be talking about here. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's. We kind of already gave Dax a little introduction in the beginning, but we could probably take this time for you, Nick, to uh, kind of introduce yourself, kind of tell us about how you got into hunting. You know, we all have a story of how we got exposed to the outdoors and kind of what bit you, you know, with the outdoor bug. Sure. Yeah. So... I grew up from Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm a Wisconsin boy, just like you, Ryan, and Ruben, just north of you. Go Packers. Uh, growing up, so go Pack Go. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I grew up like you guys. I was a whitetail hunter, actually, growing up. I did not get exposed to waterfowl hunting until after high school. I would say two years out, out of high school in 2009 is when I first got into waterfowl hunting. That was through one of my buddies at that time. He's like, hey, you want to go waterfowl hunting with me and my buds? And I was like, uh sure what do i need what do i bring and he's like oh just you got waiters nope don't have waiters so he's like okay just come on out we'll just get in a boat and stay in a boat and i was like okay sounds good and next thing you know after that morning i was hooked i mean it was it's unlike anything else because the whitetail you guys know i mean when you're whitetail hunting it's always quiet you can't make noise duck hunting man you can sit there shoot shoot the shit do any of that stuff with your buddies and all of a sudden hey here they come they just get down and you just wait. And you're just like, okay, bang, 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 and take them. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how I got into it. It was in 2009, and ever since then, I, I was hooked. Yeah, that's the cool thing about the duck hunt is like, yep, you can have the bacon going, eggs going, eating beef <laughs> sticks, don't worry about anything, <laughs> talking to your buddies, and then let it rain. How, so, how did you – so, you were hooked. You You lived in a great area in Green Bay with – you know, probably a major flyway yeah. slash you had resident birds probably year round. But after that experience, did it's like, I want to go get all this gear. I'm hooked into this waterfall stuff. Yeah. So it took a little bit because I got into it. And like you said, I mean, growing up in Green Bay, you have the Bay of Green Bay, you have Lake Michigan, you have uh, Wisconsin River cutting out in the middle of the state. So, I mean, it was anything from shooting geese to squalls to diver ducks, to greenheads, to wood ducks, to teals, all the pen. I mean, you can literally, you'd go out one morning, you get a mixed bag of four or five different ducks, easy. And that's not even including any geese at that time. Yeah. So, I mean, I got, I was really lucky and I didn't know anything about it. And there, these people at the time that I go with, they look up in the sky and be like, oh, here comes the mallard. And I'm just like, oh, how do you know it's a mallard? Because I couldn't identify anything flying through the air. And they're like, oh, just give it time, give it time. Yeah. And then eventually you just start picking up, you hear the sounds. You hear the wings, you hear wood ducks, the way they squeal and all that stuff. You hear the mallards, the way they, out in the distance, here they come. Okay, you know, those are mallards. Then all of a sudden, you're like, a, ooh, ooh. And you're like, what was that? Well, that's a diver duck. It's like, okay, I didn't know any of that. So it was like just picking all that up. And early starting out, I didn't have any of the stuff. I mean, it wasn't until after I graduated high school, like I said, in 09, in between summers, I'd come back and I would work at golf course and I work at Cabela's in Green Bay that just opened up. So me getting all that stuff, calls, decoys, 
I'm ready to still in college. I don't have any money. They always say that's the most time you're ever going to be rich is in college. But it's like, well, any money I had, I was blowing it on decoys at Cabela's and the bargain came with a discount bin. Hey, we got a shipment here that just got returned or damaged. Market 25% off. Well, I'll take that. And that was how I accumulated all my decoys. Yeah. And that's, I remember. So when we met, I think all of us met, we all, you, Nick, Ruben, we all ran track at the University of Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Um, and I think me and you, Nick, kind of met before. Well, we all met probably at the same time, but Ruben was in cross country and then me and you were doing track workouts. Yep. So that's kind of when we started just talking, you know, you hunt, I hunt. And you were probably, that was kind of the initiation of you getting into the waterfall hunting. Now you have the accumulation of all these decoys because it's a pretty expensive sport, I feel like, to get into. Especially if you're field yeah. hunting. Like, that's that's an expensive part. But, so we kind of were talking and, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, we got some geese. I'm going to call a few buddies. I knew all the farmers and stuff like that. So, I'm like, let's go try to do this early season. So, September. And um, we set out to do that and got some decoys set up. I remember I've never previously waterfall hunted, thought about shooting a goose. The only me shooting a goose would have been someone's farm sitting on a pond and be like, let's go jump these geese. That would have been the only thought of goose hunting. But I do remember that one morning we kind of right before season. I mean, I remember me and you going out watching these fields and you're like, they're landing there. You see kind of that rise in the field. I think we can get blinds or get at least um, burlap with alfalfa because it was early season alfalfa. <laughs> so we kind of gillied ourselves in there. And um, I remember you're like, just wait, wait till I tell you to shoot. You know, they're cupping, they're coming in, they're coming in. And you're like, just wait, just wait. And Oh my gosh. I'm like, shit, that thing's going to land on me. And I remember pulling, <laughs> I remember pulling and just shooting. I don't know how many we got out of that. Probably just one, but I, yeah, I don't remember, but, but I remember shooting. Fun. You're like, why'd you shoot? So I'm like, that thing was going to land on me. I'm like, but, but yeah, that was our first adventure. And then it kind of evolved from there. I mean, I think after that we went back to practice, the cross country guys were there too. And yeah, I don't think like, I got on the scene with that stuff yeah. until later because were you guys like, Ryan, straight off the bat, freshman year when you started in fall semester, was that when you guys met when you were doing training then? Because I met you it, in indoor had, in January. It had to be because, you know, we were kind of age age difference, Dax, because you were a senior when I was a freshman. I was a senior that year. Yeah, I was a senior. You were a freshman. I think we year. went up that Ember, mm-hmm. if I remember correct. Because then, Ruben, I remember you came with, I thought you were in November, unless that was a year later, but I remember late season, because you were with us, because I was, we came back early from uh, break, winter break for track workouts, and I think we went out in that time, and I remember driving back to you guys one night, and it was like negative four, and I think we did a layout cornfield hunt one of those mornings. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that hunt right next to uh, Ryan, right next to your neighbor's house there, right? In that cornfield next to your neighbor's house. And yeah, yeah. And we like tried to make a, we tried to make an adjustment right before they got up off that pond and we were up moving decoys while they were flying. We all just kind of fell down and 
And one <laughs> one goose got killed out of that bunch. I remember distinctly though, uh, one goose went down and it wasn't dead. And I went over there to try to shoot it again. And I remember Dax yelling over at me, "You're not close enough." I'm like, "Hell yeah, I'm close enough." <laughs> I shoot at the thing, and yeah, it's it was not close enough. And I had to like run up and then shoot it again or bring it or something. I don't know. Um, I had no idea what I was doing with a shotgun at that point. Like I'd only deer hunted and I was (laughs) like, folks, I want to say too, we like this story, take it with, I don't know. Don't take it with a grain of salt, but this is like very beginner. Like we were not, this is brand new. And then this is a story of us adapting a little bit, but yeah. So that was yeah. probably, maybe that was the first time that I hunted with you in layouts or anything like that. Um, but it was, yeah, I think it was like the next year after that, our sophomore year when we really started doing that. Um, and, uh, but I remember one time it must've been that year before, maybe you were away hunting Dax on a, on a different hunt or something opening weekend. Cause I distinctly remember Folks, this is how dumb Ryan and I was. We went out to his prop. His his family's got some property, and it's literally got a marsh, like a, like a full on cattail marsh with no open water in there. Here, go go back a little bit and and say all. Every time we were field hunting, there was always this chain of ponds oh, by yeah. this wealthier person's property that always held held geese, mm-hmm. and they always roosted there, and then flew over to these fields. So in theory, we thought we could catch them on their flyway. And I'm I'm like, we own 40 acres right next to there and it's marshy. It's wet, right? They might, we could call them in, right? We literally thought we were going to call in geese going from a pond to a cornfield by sitting in a marsh with a goose call and no decoys. Like we (laughs) thought that that was going to work. That's, I think our, yeah. our hope was just like, maybe we can get them low enough that we could yeah. shoot at them. Yeah. Sky busting. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. But hey, you gotta, you gotta learn. Don't judge way. us on that. But anyway. later on, <laughs> Oh, well, later yeah. on, um, we started to get more dialed with the help of Dax. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think it was family. probably that year, that picture of Dax, you just showed us before we started this thing. I think that would, would have been like our sophomore year then. So yeah, we were out trying to shoot those uh, geese unsuccessfully in the marsh next to where they wanted to land, not not landing in the marsh with no decoys and some weird goose calls coming from there. Um, and then we started to get a little uh, a little better at it with the help of uh, Dax over here. And uh, it's kind of a, I mean, I kind of feel like I was just along for the ride on that shit. I, I provided the color. You guys provided the actual play by play because Dax had the knowledge and you had the spot hookups. Ryan and uh, I was just there to see what the hell was going to happen. <laughs> That's all I had. It's like you want to field the hunt. If there's geese landing in here, we can hunt it. But Dax has got to call him in because I don't think at that point I never called. Were you ever? Did you ever have a call, uh, um, Ruben? Yeah, I mean, I I did. Um, so you know, Matt, my buddies Matt and uh, AJ, they grew up duck hunting and I, I knew them in high school and I went out a few times with them. And I think I bought a call one time just because, or maybe I bought it when I was in point, but yeah, I had a call and that's that. I remember that because I was the one calling like an idiot out of the, the cattails. Like there was a, yeah. But anyways, so, yeah. um, 
Let's add a little color to this, though. Let's tell folks, number one, how Ryan, how did you like to normally hunt geese? I remember two main articles of gear that you would have, one being a turkey choke 12 gauge and the other being moccasins. Okay. <laughs> Some things have not changed, actually, probably. But yeah, so... I never had a firearm. Well, like I had a 12-gauge a shotgun. It had a turkey choke. That's it. It was it was a turkey gun. It had just a turkey choke. I never went out and bought any other chokes. So if I would take that turkey choke off, it would be just an open cylinder. I would only be able to shoot ducks at like 20 yards maybe, and it would be wide. So <laughs> I thought my best option would be to leave my turkey choke in. <laughs> And then also hunting, even today, you'll probably find me running around in the woods with moccasins. That's just my style. Nothing has changed with <laughs> moccasins. If I'm sitting in that layout blind, I want to be comfortable and stealthy, <laughs> even though they can't hear. But yeah, but don't judge me on the moccasins. That's always, I hunted Utah with moccasins, Minnesota, almost every state I've hunted deer down with moccasins. I remember a couple times though, uh, Dax, if, uh, if you remember this, um, how he would be like cleanup hitter with that turkey choke. Be like, yes, a couple getting yes. away that got winged, and he just fold them at like 60, 60 some yards. You know, <laughs> I remember, yes. remember film. We filmed one. Me and you, Dax, went out, and you see me, boom, one shot. Because what three shots is in one? Boom, I yep. missed. You already folded two of them with two shots. And then boom, boom, and then fold, fold. It's like I missed my first one, but I cleaned up the second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was it was like Ruben and I took care of all the close stuff, and you just waited for him to get a little ways, and then you just lead him, and boom, and then you'd use all three of your shots, and Ruben and I were already gone and out of shells trying to reload, and there's Ryan, boom, 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 and he drops <laughs> like two of them. Hey, folks, that is just teamwork. You got a guy sitting there with a turkey choke patiently, just knocking him out of the sky at 40, 50 yards, and then you got guys wailing at him close. It's like a that was a lineup. You got contact. You got power hitters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the cleanup. <laughs> yeah, so we started out, I think, with more of the, the field stuff, and we went on a few of those hunts. I remember one, um, We all three of us, I think, were out there under that alfalfa blind, and uh, – or sheet of alfalfa and we we cleaned up pretty good on that i think we we just had like a pretty picture perfect you know worked in and cut them mm -hmm. i remember we did dax you and i did that another time when ryan somehow couldn't make it and um we didn't have them work and then we were like leaving to go home and as we're walking out of the field back to your car some came in and landed out there yep. in the decoys and we actually ended up freaking belly crawling out there. And I think we shot two of them <laughs> out of that, right? Didn't we? Yeah, I think that was you because you felt more confident in belly crawling, army crawling out there. I'm like, I'm just going to hang back because if we get too much mo movement, they're just going to go. I said, well, let me hang back and I'll just run the tree line. If you're crawling that way, I'll go opposite side. So if you bust them, then they got to pick up and go the other way. Then maybe I can get a shot as they do that. And I just remember you did that. And it took like, what, 10, 15 minutes? And then all of a, a sudden – wham wham and you knock a couple down <laughs> and i was not i was not quite in range when i 
was like got up but like you know they take a little bit to get up off the ground so i like jumped up and like ran like five steps and then shot him <laughs> but um, kamikaze though <laughs> yeah should should we uh segue into another time we use ruben as a driver before we head into what this has all evolved into yeah so well so i guess what you're getting at is we've got We've got our early days. We've got our field hunts. And then we've got some really kind of funny stories from that. And then we went into what we're going to talk to about this river stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So we had we had a, a good, decent amount of field hunts that worked out because Dax knew what he was doing. And then we had some other just comical stuff like moccasins, turkey chokes, and belly crawling. Um, but the one that I thought was the craziest, uh, one of the crazier hunts I've oh. been on. Hold on, hold what? back one sec. So yeah, um, the one one of the craziest hunts. Yeah, we always knew this one buddy of mine, this one farmer, always had geese in his pasture. And I'm like, if a field hunt or any crappy day happens where geese aren't flying, it's a bluebird day. Um, we always have somewhere to go. We always have an option here. So I thought the great option would be to go up to that farmer. <laughs> And say, hey, can we try to um, jump shoot these geese out of your pasture? <laughs> yeah. So so I, I don't know if he, did he move the cows? No, he's no, like, no. Oh, yeah. I remember this vividly because also I'm a, I had done a decent amount of hunting on our property up to that point, but I, I'd never been exposed to the rural life as much. I'm a, you know, from the Chicago suburbs. So my, my knowledge of hunting was all going to our family property up in Northern Wisconsin but I'd never been around <laughs> central Wisconsin boys before. But, Polish, but before, before, boys. You, before you start, I will say all three of us graduated with flying colors from Hunter Safety. So keep that in mind going forward, okay? Yes, yes. I have a hat. <laughs> he, no, it's he does. A, it's in an an pronghorn hunt in Wyoming. Yeah. It's, it's in film. It's in an antelope episode. Well, no, also the bear. <laughs> the bear last year, you wore that. It's my good luck hat, man. Right, here you go. But so we were out in a field and uh, nothing was going on. So Ryan was like, let's go, uh, let's go ask this guy I know. And uh, we went up there and we're at the gate. You can see down. So picture you get to his barn. There's a gate where you stop and then past the gate, there's an access road down to the pasture. It's a straight shot. It goes downhill and then there's a little culvert under it and the pond next to it. And then you go past it. Still on the right is the pasture, and then it backs up to a cornfield. So his cows are at pasture with the geese. And I think he said to me, just don't shoot the cows. Just wait till they get lifted. And then all I did is can, I'm like, can we go shoot these geese? He's like, yep. And I'm like, I'll just make you some uh, goose hot sticks. He's like, oh, all right. I'll sit here because he was milking. I think he was milking. No, he wasn't. That was 5 o'clock. But um, – He's like, yep, just give me that. I'll sit back here and watch him. So he just sat yeah. back on the gate and, and yeah, you finished her up. So, yeah, we, we get out and I'm like, okay, this is going to be pretty interesting because we have livestock in this situation. And uh, and the shit pile, you know, covered with the tarp or whatever, or whatever was under that it, stuff. It was uh, it was silage. Silage? S- silage bags, yeah. Yeah. The, so you got the gate, you got the <laughs> silage bags going to the right, covered with the tarp. So that's a nice way for... Dax and Ryan to walk down the silage bags, not being seen because the way it's set up is uh, on the opposite side of the pasture, there's a bunch of trees and there's one gap in the trees where we're thinking if 
if I walk down this road past them acting like I'm the farmer, because they're still about 150 yards away from them or so, and I get to that cornfield, and then I cut into the corn, because this is like standing corn, you know, it's fall corn, and come out to the edge and jump over the electric fence, take a few steps and shoot at these things that are right now sitting on the ground, they'll get up and fly right to that gap in the trees where Dax and Ryan are sitting behind the <laughs> silage bag. And they'll be able to clean up whatever, you know. And so I, I, I got out there and I snuck in and I get to the edge and I'm like, okay, well, the cows are actually like pretty separated from this flock. So as far as like shooting safety goes, like I'm definitely not going to have any chance of like accidentally spraying a cow somehow, but it is still like pretty close. I mean, like I'm, I'm like thinking to myself, these things, I don't know what's going to happen, but I better be ready for a rodeo as soon as I fire that first shot, you know? <laughs> and so I do what I was saying. I, I get over the electric fence. They start, you know, like what's going on. And I get out there, take a shot down one. They take off. I might have taken another pot shot. I don't know. Didn't didn't down another one. Cows start freaking ball up like a herd animal and running in a circle out there. Like, like what the hell is going on? People are shooting in our pasture. And like, I'm mean, I'm pretty close. I'm probably a hundred yards from them blasting with a shotgun <laughs> or closer. And uh, the geese get up. They fly over to that gap in the trees just as we were predicting. And they didn't have a lot of time to get elevation. It was only like two hundred yards over there. And I'm like waiting, waiting. The geese are getting smaller. And I'm like, are they past them yet? And all of a sudden, I just see like three, four geese fall out of the sky. I'm like, holy shit, that worked. And then I turned to the geese, the goose that I shot. And it's definitely not dead. Like I must have winged it or something. So I'm like going out there to like shoot it again. These cows, they were scared and running around. And then all of a sudden, all the geese left. Things settled for like a few seconds and then they turn and see me in their pasture and they all like a dozen of them or whatever start running right at me. And I was like, what the hell? And well, actually they come over to, to me, but then they see the goose and they run over to the goose to look at the goose. Like what the hell is this thing doing? And that was enough to scare that goose up and it actually flew off and flew away. No, I shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I think I yelled at you guys. There's one more. <laughs> But anyways, I think we ended up with like, oh, well, and then the cows turned to me after the goose flew away and started running at me. And I mean, I didn't know. I've never been really around cows before that. So I just ran for my life and jumped over that electric oh, fence. <laughs> you and that electric fence. That was the biggest <laughs> thing I was going to worry about. I'm like, you're holding a gun. I'm like, I hope he doesn't hit the electric fence, get tangled up in it. Cause that could do everything. And I could just like see something bad happening from that. I'm like, if he just gets through that electric fence. If he can just do that, we're 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 in the clear. We're okay. Room. <laughs> yeah, it was great. But yeah, you guys must have uh, had a. Well, how close were those shots? Yeah, Dax, you you uh, paint a picture of uh, the geese uh, flying and almost knocking us out. Well, and that's what they had to have been. <laughs> if I were to guess, maybe ten yards above those silage bales, because they did not expect that at all. They knew from the past it was like hey this is where we always go we can go low here nothing's ever going to attack us nothing's jumping up we can just cruise right on over and go into the field right across the river on the other side and when they were coming i'm just like oh my gosh this is like fish in a barrel and we're just sitting there we're waiting right i'm like ryan's like shoot no i'm like no just let them get over us because when they get right on top of us all you got to do is just go right up above and then just 
swing and turn away from you and they're going to drop down in that river or in the pasture across. It's like, and Ruben's over in there with the cows. I'm like, don't even risk sending pellets that way. Just wait till they get over us. And he's like, no, I'm like, no, just let the majority of the flock get by. And when the middle gets there, then let's start hammering them. And as soon as that happened, it was like, no, no. And it was boom, 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 boom. And just them all just drop. It was fun. Yeah. The farmer, because we went back afterwards, picked up our birds that almost hit us. They all kind of just dropped on the houses and everywhere around. But the farmer, he's like, that was the best thing ever. Like all the birds just do, 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 just all went flying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was funny. That was probably but, uh, the the highlight of the. It wasn't really a field hunt, but like as far as not hunting them on the river, that was like probably the most memorable hunt out of those for me. But yep. like speaking about jump shooting, to get back on track, um, when we would field hunt, uh, we would always see you know that probably December mid November time frame when all the lakes would freeze over, it would push a bunch of birds to this river. And that's when they weren't even going in the fields. Cause I, I remember me and Dax trying to field hunt when it would snow and stuff and they'd just fly over, go to the river. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, why wouldn't they go to a field? You know, I've seen plenty of times people in the wintertime, um, shooting geese out of the fields, but so it was pretty much probably a transition zone. It'd be like everything froze, boom river. And we're going a thousand miles the next day to wherever Timbuktu, but so we kind of adapted our strategy at that time to the river and um we would see them and i remember the first time we tried was at our land our property there's kind of a bridge and then there's a road that goes down and i remember following the road that goes down that parallels the stream and i'm like there this group big group just landed on this meander i'm like let's just walk down creep down in our waders and try to bust them up so that was the first um river experience so we all jumped in off this road and just waded down and i remember this big big flock of canadians old canadas they were like oh hey we got some guys here you know with some guns so uh all these geese it was me you and dax and i remember me and you just whiffing i think i was overwhelmed I would totally flock shot. Oh we, yeah. I didn't know. Me and you got zero yeah. while Dax, he dropped three birds <laughs> out of his three shots. And then we're like, how the hell did we miss? There was like 30 birds right there. Just all bunched up. But anyways, after that, we were like, let's uh, start trying this river thing a little bit more. Yeah. So we, I mean, we walked it a few times, but we never were successful. Cause I remember walking to those big decks. Yeah, well, besides Dax, that one time I would claim that successful. Um, but then we would we would try it again, and we would just walk and park a car down and park a car up, and we'd just walk the whole thing. And I just always remember going to those big straights because it, it's a it's an older river, but it's very depositional, so it like is shallow and it is very long and slow. So like these geese would sit in the middle of the damn stream and it's like oh you just you're sitting there walking down the stream trying to cut to the edge but they just they know you're there and then they'd fly away so we're like how do we creatively try to fool these geese like a bunch of dumbasses we take my dad's 12 foot john boat 
and we stick two 200-pound guys at about 6'4 in it and then put burlap around the front. Didn't we, like, put burlap around the front and then we stuck a bunch of grass in so it just looked like an island was moving the whole time? A a floating bog, yep. Yep, totally. And how did that work for us? I think it worked pretty well. We cleaned house when we started doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I I always felt everything that we shot just was, like, confused. It died with confusion on its mind just because they would be like, what what the hell is that? And it would be close enough when they'd get up and boom, boom, <laughs> you'd shoot it. Yeah. Yep. Well, we, and we did that multiple times though. Um, the one I distinctly remember we put up further than the, what we normally did. And it was me and Dax in the front. And we had you as cleanup hitter once again in the kayak. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say one thing I did. I had an orange Pelican kayak and then I literally took burlap and cut a slit in it and slid it all over my kayak. And I'm like, I'm going to sit back because a lot of times when, you know, from experience, you would shoot these geese or ducks or wood ducks, mallards, and then they would always circle in confusion and they would be low enough to shoot again and they would circle back though. Yeah. It's like you get them out of the actual river for a second and then another hundred yards back up river when they're flying away, they come right back down to the channel. So we're like... You know, if you sent someone back there a little piece, they'd probably get those ducks or geese that are coming right back to the river after you just busted them from this spot because they think you're still down where you, that you busted them. And so they fly back up and get back to the river, but then you're waiting for them. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. And naturally with birds too, especially geese, because they mate for life, if you drop one, they're not going to leave that one behind. They will leave, turn around, circle, and come back to try and find that one that they left. The odds of you getting another shot at a single are very high, especially when that stretch of river, those tree canopies go up and then they kind of curl in on the river. So it's almost like a big tunnel. They got nowhere to go except just run it up and down until they find a spot to get up and then get out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. See, that's why we had him along with us. We didn't, we didn't know these things, <laughs> but, um, I just had a Turkey choke 12 gauge, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but so that kind of sets the stage for when we did it a few times when it was cold, but I feel like the time that we did it when we, uh, when we shot some ducks too, I think that was in like October or November or something. I like, cause that, cause we did it a couple of times with, you know, Hunter, um, when it was like damn cold, like we we're in ice flows, yeah. you know? Yep. And that's when you sailed that one into the farm field. You had to go clean up, <laughs> right? Yeah. Turkey, turkey choke. I remember, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, this time when Dax and I were on the boat and he was on the bow, I was on the back, and he was laying prone with that big hunk of camo sticks, whatever. We built like a forest on the John boat. <laughs> and um, we put in, and then you were going to wait like, three minutes, five minutes or something. And then you were going to go like, it was, you were close enough where you might be able to holler back at you and say something, but you're pretty far back there. And, mm-hmm. um, it was like the first bend in that, that hunt. Yeah, we, we yeah. shot, we all shot ducks. You guys loaded up and I shot at least one, I think on cleanup. Yeah. I remember distinctly, he started to like move cause he's sitting prone and like, while he's floating, he's on his belly and his guns like, you know, laid down. And I saw him move up, get his like, you know, on his elbows and pull his gun up. And I thought at first he was just re- repositioning cause he was like uncomfortable. And like, so I like kind of looked away and it's like a boom. It's like, Whoa. 
And then another one gets up, boom! And he like totally skillet flipped that one mallard at like Mallards. 15 yards. <laughs> I think one thing too to point at, like the river at that time. So we were earlier targeting the frost period where like all the lakes up north and down by us would freeze and they'd all go to the river a day or two before they fly out. And then now at this stage, early October, I feel like you had a lot of wood duck abundance. Like it's 50-50 wood duck to mallard because you got a lot of acorns. I don't know if they were eating, would they eat northern white cedar like berries and stuff? I don't really know. I don't know. But but like the, the river is pretty much lowland, northern white cedar, balsam, and then high was all these red oaks. But these red oaks would just tower right over the top of this stream and drop acorns and these these it's perfect cover with the cedars because they would have little little shoots and feeders where these wood ducks would actually crawl like into the into the trees yeah swimming and i remember one one of the ducks you guys i was behind you guys and i remember a few of them just trying to get out of those trees and i'm like oh i feel bad for those things oh so that's that's the the picture the picture we had in your garage with the mm-hmm. drakes, the Drake woodies, the couple mallards and the couple of geese. I have that one mounted. Um, like you were saying. Yeah. Right, yeah, right there. there. You you got that one mounted too, Dax. Don't you have a woody, the wood duck? Is that it? Right, right there. there. Yep. <laughs> there it is. Nice. Nice. Yep. But no, so that was, um, that was that actually was, the last week of Northern zone. Because in Wisconsin, you have a southern and a northern zone, and that was on the border of the northern zone, and it closed that weekend for northern zone. So maybe it was later. It was just, like, really warm, because I don't remember it being, like, really cold when we were doing that. Maybe that was was a year that we didn't – yeah, maybe we were planning on doing that and hoping things froze up, but it was warm, but we still did it. I think it was November, because wasn't it that time where that little eight-point buck – it was running that cedar bottoms. Yeah. Was it that, yeah. that, and yeah, he jumped he in the river and yeah. I remember him stopping and him just breathing and you could, he would just yeah. breathe like fire. And then he just got back on the river. He didn't know we were there floating in the floating bog there. And he got back on the river and he just followed the edge of the river while we were just floating with him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. that was one of the coolest things ever aesthetically yeah. on the hunt. Yeah. But anyway, so we were, um, I had a straightaway, and like you were saying, Ryan, they were uh, those wood ducks were there was some like overhanging boughs that were like oak or something, and they were in there feeding, and we flushed them out. And on the left side of the river, there was someone's like yard and a house, and like we're in we're in still in a rural area, but like the, there was a house there. And I remember though I, I was on the gun, the wood duck took off, and it, it flew left across the bank and then it was like the house was right behind it and i was like can't shoot now and i literally just had my gun point straight down the river and as soon as he like came back over the channel going away shot i put him down and i think i think that dax shot it before did i shoot that duck first or did you shoot your duck first because you shot yours really close right I th- you shot first because two came up. We didn't see the second one that I shot because you sh- were aiming one first and he came up and then when they spooked up, it went like this. And then it, you said it came back into your yeah. right in front of you, your field of view. And you shot when you shot one jumped up from that same right side where yours was held in the tag elders or the cedars. And then he went straight up and then I just went straight up and shot that one. Yeah. And then we, but yeah, so I shot first 
you shot second, but then we retrieved yep. your duck immediately, and then we had to like kind of hurry up to get the other one. It was yes. dead, but the it current was. was going. The current yes. was taking it. So, yeah. And then did you might have even shot another one out of that same situation with one going back. I don't know. Right. Yeah, I, I, don't. I know. I don't think so. I think all I got is that first meander. Yeah. Got one. But but anyway, so we, we did that multiple times, and that that seemed to work. Camouflaging up a, a John boat and then especially having cleanup hitter with turkey choke back there. Yeah, I think that was a very successful uh, thing that we've, we would do. And then I remember years later, I wish Ruben would have been with us, but I remember, I don't know if I came back for a period and I remember calling you Dax. I'm like, let's go do this again. When, as older adults, you know, we were like little kids in that picture. And now we did it as older adults and got a few uh, ducks and, and now we haven't done it since, but. Well, and yeah, I feel like one no. of the better ones was when we jumped in and there was like a half moon around a corner and on that flat in that half moon was like a little peninsula and it was all flat full of tag elders. And I think you went around and circled it because Ryan, I think you were in that canoe at your time ahead of us and Ruben, you and I were behind in the boat in the John boat and all of a sudden Ryan shot once and we're looking ahead and all of a sudden like that whole tag elder marsh just picked up and there were like 30 ducks and it's like get shooting <laughs> so I said, just go up and start shooting it was crazy i think i think that was another situation because i've had a few like the overwhelming of like too many ducks and i remember just being i remember one time i think i was with you guys probably and sh- i was shooting and i'm like how did i not shoot a damn duck there's mallards everywhere yeah <laughs> and uh right here a little lesson learned is like okay even in a flock, calm your emotions and start picking out one by one by one. Like that is where you're going to be most efficient. I mean, uh, a duck on an average, you know, moves 50 miles an hour, maybe not right away, but a duck can fly. Even those woodies, like those woodies and teal are just so maneuverable that they can, they're hard to hit. So pick out one by one. And then you got to know what type you're shooting at because it's like a Canadian once she or he gets off the water, they're moving slow. They're like a turkey they're trying kites. to fly off of the yeah. It's like a kite. Like put it right on their beak and just pull the trigger. It'll <laughs> fold. But like yep. a mallard, once they get going, you know, you got to lead a certain amount. Or a teal, once they can, boom, they can get up to speed right away. Or a turkey. But you just got to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> you got to know what you're shooting at, but. I you think know, I probably had that little memory of what to do kick in when that turkey jumped up last weekend from you guys seeing a geese getting off the water. Cause I actually hit that thing right where the neck meets the head pretty much. Stone cold. See, right there. Ruben, it brought you back. Ruben, I think that's called muscle memory right there. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, but that was think, that was a good time. I think uh we can probably go to the outro on this and kind of wrap it up a little bit and kind of uh we can kind of share what we've learned maybe our failures on this like what how we've uh creatively thought thought and created you know something we learned about this but i don't know who wants to go first well we should i think we should also have each of us say what our just real quick what our favorite um favorite outing was from that time frame i'll go first and say it was that cow pasture (laughs) <laughs> that's the most memorable to me. 
my favorite time was when the farmer, he would uh, chop this field. So he chopped it, but he would loop around and cut from the middle. So he would take out an entire like four rows and four rows. So there was like eight rows of corn of corn cobs and just ran over stalks. And those geese would land in there and and uh, like freaking cordwood stack in there. And we literally dug down, put our put our coffin blinds in in that standing corn. And and one thing I couldn't believe is how fast geese could take out that amount of corn. Like I remember seeing them and I'm like, oh, we don't have to act. And by the time we actually hunted them, they were almost out of corn on that whole cornfield. Every cob, you could see every cob was just stripped of corn, stripped of corn. I'm like, holy cow, I can't believe how much a goose could eat. <laughs> In like a matter of four days, they had that yes. whole section gone. Once they found that X, you always say, hunt them on the X, find the X. Once you have them there, you only have a limited amount of days. Because after yeah. that, when they strip it clean, they're not coming back. They're moving on to the next one. And it's just a yeah. game of cat and mouse. You always got to keep up with them. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah, that- that was cool because we pretty much walked. We're like, no corn cobs, no corn cobs. Boom, right here. All right, let's set up right here. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> know where it. they left off the day before. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. exactly. Well, what uh, we already talked a little bit about tactics learned. I mean, Dax kind of taught us a lot of stuff, I feel like. But um, I did, just getting creative with that boat was pretty fun. I mean, like, like you were saying – I almost wonder if it was just so different and we were using like kind of stuff that's familiar to them, but just in an unfamiliar way that like they were just confused as to like, I mean, yep. there's always stuff floating down the river, like logs and stuff. But what we had going on was like a whole like chunk of like the bank came off and was floating down yep. the river. But I mean, it's fun to just kind of like prod around and see what's going to work and kind of like find that weakness they have. And like you were saying, I think it's kind of like, like we confused them like it wasn't like they totally were safe like they knew something was weird but it wasn't weird enough for them or it wasn't familiar for them to like take off flying you know yeah yeah just to get them to look and be like that wasn't there yesterday and it wasn't there this morning but i don't feel threatened but it's just not normal yeah. and that's just to mm-hmm. get them thinking outside the box mm-hmm. you got one dex or that was it no, uh, my favorite memorable one was in that cornfield in the tractor ruts. Like we said, where you started digging a little shallow, but more so when we just went there, I think it was one early October weekend, we went there and we just laid down the tractor ruts, all three of us. And it was just, I think <laughs> one of us was almost like head to toe in one rut. And the other one was just one person in that rut. And it's let them come in over you and feed. And literally, I think we put a decoy right next to us just to try and break up that little silhouette. So they couldn't see the transition yeah. from two dimension to three dimension. I'm pretty sure that was a morning Ryan was wearing moccasins. Why, I think you're why right. Would you wear I moccasins? think you should. So like I was always the one that would be showing up late and kind of hung over because I was partying too much at college the night before. But I think that was <laughs> the one day that Ryan showed up late and he was wearing like sweatpants and moccasins yep. out in the field. We still killed him. We did. We laid the whack and stack on them, right? Yeah. One one thing I take home message here that I would take home is, you know, through this whole time of being newbies to um, waterfall hunting and you see 
you know, we, we made up, we made mistakes along the way, but you would see geese and ducks do something like AKA land on the river and be like, they're there. Like we, we gotta go, we gotta be on the river. Right. So now you creatively think like Ruben said, now we use our minds and we're like, they're on the river. How do we hunt them? And, you know, through failure, through trying all these new things, you might look like a dumbass, like we probably did. But at the end of the day, we're coming home with blood on the tailgate and geese and ducks and wood ducks and all that stuff. So I think it's just a learned lesson of if you see animals there, it might be like, oh, no one's ever hunted them there. Well, use your damn mind. Think of some alternative way and get your ass in there and start hunting those animals. Yeah, because yep. I don't believe many people at all were doing that. No. No, no. and I, I remember, I think, out of those, that span of four years, three years that we did that, I think we ran into someone once doing what we did out yeah. of those mm-hmm. years. Yeah. So, I yeah. agree. Well, how's uh, have you been after the ducks at all in Utah? Yeah, so it's a little different here. There's no wood ducks, which hey, that's not true. Ryan Whoa, shot. That is one. not true. <laughs> that Come is on, not what, true. Ryan, why are you holding me out? Where's this honey hole of wood duck? You got to give me this. I'll, 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 I'll GPS you a spot. There um, was just one, right. though. But it, I will say, <laughs> so leading back to earlier episodes, I talked about this Danny Gilmore. This one and only, the founder of Jump Shooting Utah Duck Streams. I met the um, gentleman, yes. Yep, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he has never shot a wood duck in Utah. He's like, they don't exist in, in Utah. He said just what you said. Me and Ruben shot a wood duck in Utah. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't Imm- because we were good at duck hunting, but we shot a wood duck. Im- immature. It was immature. It was lost. Hey, it blown it's up still... Close. Still tastes very good. Yeah, yeah. So there are wood ducks in southern Utah. Well, I'm going to have to get that GPS location from you, and then I'll let you know. I'll shoot you a picture text if I can, lucky enough to get one. But the ducks out here is a little. Yeah, that I know. But (laughs) the the duck hunting out here is different for me because I'm duck hunting a way I've never duck hunted before. So I'm still learning out here because now here by me, I have a canal running through my property and I would say the length of that canal as a crow flies is short, but with all the windy bends and everything, I would say it's three quarters of a mile long. And I found a spot on that canal where horseshoes comes around and it's a long stretch on one side. And if you hit it just right in the morning, the sun's at your back coming up. The birds can't see you because there's birds that do come up from the river and it's not many. I think the most I've seen in the past two years here have been 14 to 18 birds, mallards, all mallards total. And I throw a decoy in there, just one, just to get an attention, just to show a look. And I sit in the tall sage that's right next to the canal. And I'm sitting in there and this canal is just used for irrigation and farm fields. It's all it's used for. So I sit up in there and I took old Christmas trees, made myself a little makeshift blind right on the canal. And I sit in there and I bring my dog and she's learning this too. And it's all different for us. And you put one decoy in there, you hit the call. As soon as you start seeing them or hearing them come up, you hit the call. They see that one decoy in that open stretch. They fly by low once, spin around, 
come by every single time. And typically now we've patterned it where you got to hit them the second or the third time because they will not fly by a fourth time. They'll do one, two, three max. And then once they do that, they're up and gone. And it's only for like 10 minutes. It's good. After that, nothing. You can sit there all day. So, I mean, we're learning that. I think last year I knocked down seven ducks. The year before I knocked down four. So I'm starting to pattern them a little bit better when they're coming through the transition, the time morning. So once they're here, you, you got to stack wood. If not, you're going home empty. Final takeaway <laughs> here is, you know, duck hunting, I feel like is a great sport. Maybe, maybe not to get people into it. They could probably get people into outdoors via that too. But I just think it's a great sport to enjoy with others. Like, like we said, you know, whitetail hunting is so planned out or elk hunting and all this stuff. There's so much that goes into it emotionally. Duck hunting. If you go out there and eat a bunch of beef sticks, have all this jerky and stuff like that, it's all about like the camaraderie, friendship and stuff like that. And that's what duck hunting is versus other things. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. And that's totally what this whole episode was about. Oh, well, I just, hey, before we go, I just want to thank you guys for inviting me on here, uh, reaching out to me and asking me to be on here. I appreciate that. So thank you two both for inviting me and have, letting me have the privilege to come on and join you guys. I greatly appreciate it. And it was awesome catching yeah. up with you guys again. I, I agree. I mean, I I think I had fun. I had big time had fun thinking about all the past and all the stuff we enjoyed. You know, that's that's memories that are never going to be lost. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this week's episode of the Story Podcast. If you guys like our recipes, what we're up to, follow us on our new Instagram, the Story Podcast Official. No spaces, Story Podcast Official. Link should be in the episode description or in our bio. Hopefully you guys enjoyed and keep enjoying the outdoors. Thank you. <laughs>